podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. Proverbs 910 Ministries is dedicated to taking out the trash of false teaching and replacing it with God's truth. We're your hosts and the co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. In the last episode, we started a series loosely based on our upcoming book, No Half-Truths Allowed, Understanding the Complete Gospel Message, due out in early 2020. In episode two, we talked about why it was crucial to have a solid rock foundation of scripture beneath us, and we touched on the problems of using tradition, experience, and emotion as our foundation. Yep. And as promised, this episode we're going to go into more detail about all these things and also talk about what role our personal testimony should play in our witness. Rose, we should probably start out today with a disclaimer that this episode may step on some toes. Yeah, it might, but... Let me see if I can set this up for us, Chris. So my granddaughter has this knitted blanket that she slept with since she's a baby. 11 years later, a mass of knotted yarn is a better (laughs) description of it than a blanket. Yet she still insists on sleeping with it. Even though we all know the blanket's ready for the trash, she's attached to it and she won't let it go. Hmm. You know, we say in the intro that we're committed to taking out the garbage of false teaching. Sometimes when you take out the garbage, you end up throwing away something people are sentimentally attached to, even if it is trash. The difference, though, between letting someone hang on to a raggedy old blanket and letting someone hang on to false teaching about God should be obvious. One's a bunch of yarn that clinging to is harmless. Clinging to the other, though, not only harms your spiritual growth, but it's going to prevent you from having a meaningful, intimate relationship with God, and eventually it'll lead you into sin and heresy. Clinging to false beliefs is nothing new. Let's start talking about tradition. This is exactly what the Pharisees were guilty of and what made Jesus angry at them. Because the Pharisees didn't understand what the law said or what it was actually pointing to, they took it literally. The law given in the Old Testament had two purposes. One, to show God's people what he required of them, which was to be a holy people, separate and distinct from the rest of the world. And two, to show God's people that they could never accomplish this on their own. They needed someone who could keep the law perfectly and then impute his perfection onto them. Yeah, and instead of understanding this, the Pharisees thought they could keep the law perfectly. And even worse, they added a bunch of man-made laws onto God's law. By the time Jesus came, the people were so bogged down with trying to keep the quote-unquote rules, they were feeling pretty hopeless. It was so bad The Pharisees were using their tradition over and above what was recorded in the Old Testament. And what do we know about how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees? He called them hypocrites, and he calls them out on it. In Mark 7, verses 7 to 9, Jesus says to them, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And then he goes on to say to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Yeah, and it wasn't just the Pharisees that got this wrong. Once the apostles died, it didn't take long for the church to become corrupt. No, it didn't. It would take way too long to explain it fully, but one tradition that the church was practicing was indulgences. To put it simply, the Pope and the Cardinals told the people that there was only so much of God's grace available, and the only way to get it was to buy it from the church. There's a lot of things that the Reformer Fathers fought against in the 16th century, but indulgences was one of the main things. I hope 
that we see, just like they saw, the idea of God's grace being limited and for sale as an abomination of what Scripture teaches. Thankfully, the Catholic Church did do away with the indulgences as a result of the Reformation, but they still based their theology and doctrine on their tradition as much as, if not more, than the Bible. And it and just so it doesn't seem like we're picking on the Catholic Church, there are Protestant churches that do that too. For example, some Protestant churches practice quote-unquote open communion. They have an open communion policy. Basically, this says everyone, absolutely everyone, Rose, is welcome to take communion. If you're in the building, Rose, you can take (laughs) communion. And if you're an atheist there to mock Christians, Rose, help yourself to communion. (laughs) But as we all know, that, or we both know at least, that does not line up with Scripture. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 29 knocks that right down. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Yeah, bringing judgment on yourself is quite different from the idea of anybody and everybody helping themselves to the bread and the juice. Yeah, it sure is. All right, so Chris, I think we've made the case why tradition as the authority about God, your life, and the gospel message is wrong. So let's move on to experiences and emotions. Okay. You know, at the extreme, musicians, pastors, and churches use experiences and emotions to manipulate people and to exploit them. And sadly, because a lot of people's foundation is built on this, they're vulnerable to it. Rose, uh, I want to talk about one thing that's happening, happening a lot in Christianity today, and it's something called being slain in the spirit. If you've never heard of this, we'll try to explain it to you. But what usually happens is at a conference or something similar to a conference, those wishing to manipulate the audience set the mood. They have intimate lighting, maybe fog, something like that. And music is played intentionally and it's repetitive and it causes the listeners to almost be hypnotized. And then we have a pastor or a leader up front who tells them over and over to expect an encounter with God. He whips them into a frenzy. And by telling them that he can see Jesus or that he can see the Holy Spirit's anointing on some of the people in the audience, he whips them up even more. And the people's emotions are running so high by this point that they begin to act as if they're physically controlled by what they actually believe is the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times they fall to the floor, they writhe around, they are convulsing, sometimes they make animal sounds or they're crying or laughing or sometimes just laying there in a trance-like state. Unbelievable. It sounds like something out of a horror movie, but sadly it isn't. In fact, it's considered by many to mean mainstream Christianity. However, what those who believe that this is a God experience don't realize is that far from being Christian, this is actually a pagan practice called Kundalini Awakening. It's practiced by billions of Hindus all over the world. And this is far from the only example of the pagan garbage that's being peddled as Christian. I just read rows of a pastor telling his congregation this. Now listen to this. The Lord told me 70 people in here tonight who he's prompting to give. 
There's a special anointing for breakthrough that the Lord wants to relief in your li- release in your life today. If you step out in faith, if, if that's you and you feel the Lord speaking to your heart and you want the Lord to release his blessing into your life, please stand up and the usher will hand you an envelope. Gosh, that makes me sick. I know. It makes me sick too. It makes me angry. You know, we didn't even talk about faith healers like Benny Hinn or Benny Hanna. As we said, <laughs> as you said earlier today, Benny yeah. Hanna. Um, Benny Hinn, not Benny Hanna is followed by millions of people because he claims, and I'm quoting from his website, deliverance from sickness is provided for all in the atonement and is the privilege of all believers. So Chris, I have a question. If Benny Hinn has a gift from God and is able to heal people, why isn't he ministering in hospitals instead of standing on a stage collecting money from people? That's a great question, Rose. I mean, why isn't he at St. Jude's Hospital with Marlo Thomas? (laughs) Exactly. You know, some of you might be thinking, well, these things that are maybe happening somewhere, but they're not happening here, and I certainly wouldn't be manipulated by things like this. Not so fast. Using experiences and emotions as a foundation is more prevalent than you may realize. Don't you agree, Chris? Okay, so you're leaving me to do the major toe-stepping on, uh, right? Yeah, but I promise to agree with what you're about to say. Because knowing you as long as I have, I know exactly where you're going to go with this. Oh, boy. Well, you do know. My greatest rant right now is with this website called Spiritual Inspiration. They put out so much crap and people are constantly posting their memes on Facebook. And most of the ones go something like this one. Let me read this one for you. You are about to celebrate a big victory in your life. Something you've been praying for is on the way. Exclamation point. Rose, every time I see that, I want to comment underneath it, who says? (laughs) Question mark, question mark, like a thousand question marks. You know why I want to put that comment, Rose? Because God doesn't say that in the Bible. Not anywhere. And if you've been praying for it, like the meme says you have, then you're saying that God promised that. It's crap. It's crap that's spewed out there in some kind of attempt to bolster someone's sad life. But it's totally false. Well, tell us how you really feel. It's totally (laughs) false. Yeah, and you know, Facebook just fosters all that stuff. It sure does. Um, And people amen it and amen it and amen it, comment after comment. And it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just false bolstering. Yeah, and it's sad. It makes me sad. It does. It makes me sad. It makes me angry and sad, obviously. It makes me angry. (laughs) Obviously. So the extreme examples we started with and the example you just talked about, Chris, seem different, but they're really not. No. Foundationally, they're the same. In both cases, the person falling for the lies is falling because their foundation is based on their experience with God and the way they feel emotionally about God. Right. To put it bluntly, these people want something from God. They want something from God. Yep. The victory Jesus Christ has given them over sin, Satan, and death is not enough. Nope. They want more. They want victories every day over their problems and ailments. They want God to constantly reassure them that he is there and he's on their side. Yes, and God is always there and is always on the side of his people. But it doesn't manifest itself by his his giving you constant earthly victories or giving you repeated proof that he's with you. If you want to constantly be reassured of God's presence... And that he does all things for your good, which is really meaning your spiritual good, not your earthly circumstances good. If you're his, read your Bible. 
It's full of the promises God makes to his children. You got that right. And I feel like we keep hitting everyone over the head with read your Bible. I know, but it's true. But it, and it really has the answer to everything. You know, as you read and study scripture, you grow in your faith. And instead of being lured by things like tradition and experiences and emotions, you take a stance against them, knowing that those things get tossed around like sand on a windy day. Everything God wants his people to know is contained in the Bible. So if you want to have a real God experience and mm. you want to have hear God speaking to you, read your Bible. We should qualify all this by saying sometimes God certainly can and does speak to his people and into their lives in ways other than just reading the Bible. He certainly does. But he does not give any new revelation that's not already written in scripture or that's counter to scripture. Right. And he does not give us messages he wants us to give other people. When God speaks to his children, it's to reinforce what scripture already says. It certainly is. And Proverbs 19, 2 to 3 says, Desire without knowledge is not good. And whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. I hope we've all started to see the reality of what happens when we do what our own mind and heart say instead of listening to what God has said. Don't get us wrong. There is a place for our feelings and experiences. They're part of who we are and they'll certainly be a part of our testimony. But they're not to replace the word of God and they're not to replace the gospel. We also need to make sure that they line up with Scripture to ensure they are from God and not from our own mind or worse, from Satan. We certainly do. So let's finish up uh, this episode talking about personal testimonies. Personal testimonies are a little bit different than the other things we talked about. Personal testimonies are widely used, and we're not bashing that at all. No. People love to hear personal stories of how someone came to faith, and they're a great icebreaker and a great way to lead in to witnessing the gospel. Right. Sharing our personal testimony is a good thing, but it's not scripture and it's not the gospel. And it should not be a replacement for either. You're right. My son's pastor talks about how we, what we win someone with is what we win them to. And let me explain that. For instance, if your testimony is that you were a drug, drug addict or an alcoholic when you became a Christian and then God took your craving for drugs or alcohol away and that is what you consider your gospel presentation, when other drug or alcoholic uh, alcoholics hear that presented as the gospel, he or she will expect the same. They will, in effect, be one to the idea of being rid of their addiction, not to the true gospel which is that they are sinners before a perfectly holy God and they need rescued by Jesus' death on the cross in their place. A person's testimony of what God has done in their life must be coupled with the gospel message. Otherwise, you've left out the truly needed message. Exactly. And even further, like experiences and emotions, we need to make sure our personal testimony lines up with scripture. For example, we don't want to tell someone as part of our this part of our personal testimony that I've always sincerely tried to follow the commandments God has laid out for me. And because I choose to try and follow him, he saved me. Yeah, that's not the gospel. No. And where do we begin to correct a testimony like that? Right. My pastor always says, as a rule, everyone's personal testimony should include Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 5, even if it's just a paraphrase of the verses. You know, Rose, I think that's a great idea. Um, why don't we read those verses for yeah, the Yeah, that's for a good idea. Um, let me see. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 5 says, 
and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Rose, every Christian's testimony should include that they were born dead in their sin, and they remained in that state of bondage to sin and Satan until God, who sovereignly chose them before the creation of the world, like it says in Ephesians 1.4 and other verses, regenerated their dead hearts and brought them to saving faith in Jesus. We contribute nothing to our salvation. God does all of it. And that may be a new concept for some of you. Right. And you may disagree and you may even be yelling right now, I chose Jesus. But we plead with you, just hang in there with us. We're going to look at this much more in detail and we're going to look at all the elements of the gospel in the coming weeks. And I promise you, we will absolutely address, did we choose Jesus or did he choose us? So to wrap up, let's reiterate um, that we need to throw that ratty, dirty old security blanket that has so much sentimental value into the trash. And we need to find our security instead in the truth of what the Bible says about God, ourselves, and life in general. We need to rely on the teachings of scripture and not on tradition, experiences, emotions, or even our own personal testimonies. For as Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six says, he who trusts in himself is a fool. And nobody wants to be a fool. Nobody wants to be a fool. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we welcome your questions and feedback. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss an episode. You can also check out our website, www.proverbs910ministries.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Have a blessed day.